This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 799 of Horse Tip Daily. A different horse tip, a different equine topic, a different equestrian expert every day. Horse Tip Daily brings the world of equine knowledge to you one day at a time. Greetings, horse people. Coach Jen here, and thanks for tuning in to Horse Tip Daily. Dr. Chris Newton of Rude and Riddle Equine Hospital in Lexington, Kentucky, joins Dressage Radio Show co-hosts Reese Kofler-Stanfield and Philip Parks with more on the types of injuries most common to dressage horses and the best ways to keep them sound. And we'll get to our tip right after this nutritional minute from Kentucky Performance Products. This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com. Have you heard of a yeast called Saccharomyces boulardii? It's a type of probiotic that benefits your horse's digestive tract. Often referred to as S. boulardii, it works in several different ways. One unique property of Espoulardii is that it supports the stimulation of the enzymes found in the intestinal lining. These enzymes help your horse digest starches and sugars in the small intestine. When the sugars and starches are more completely digested, fewer of them escape into the hindgut where they can ferment and cause imbalances that may lead to colic, diarrhea, and laminitis. Saccharomyces boulardii is found in Nalox Advanced, made by Kentucky Performance Products. Nalox Advanced contains a blend of yeast, fermentation solubles, and stomach buffers. These ingredients work together to maintain your horse's digestive tract in peak condition. Nalox Advanced is recommended for horses of all ages and stages and is fed on a daily basis. This Nutritional Minute has been brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. You can find all of their terrific products at kppusa.com. What other preventative things can we do? I mean, we do quite a few things in our barn about, you know, icing the legs maybe after stressful work or wrapping the legs after stressful work. Like what kinds of things that we do already are useful and one but what have you seen that maybe isn't that useful again as we as we go through the horse's career i think it's really important very early on and i think it starts with the pre-purchase exam or if you have if you've bred the horse with what i would call an early training exam so that you get a solid idea of what the weaknesses of each horse that you're developing its training program are. Uh, many times when we breed horses, and, and I do think the dressage community is much stronger in the breeding and developing of horses than, say, the eventing and jumping communities are, show jumping communities are. And so many times dressage riders have horses that they've bred within their own operation and they've developed through their careers, and so they've never gone through a pre-purchase. They've never radiographed these horses through all their joints. And I do think it's important that you kind of get a baseline on these young horses and you identify which side is their strong side, which side is their weak side, where do they have tendencies for significant muscle tightness, where do they have tendencies for 
uh, lack of range of motion in their body and, and soreness. And that way you can work on those areas more effectively and more efficiently instead of having them uh, finally break, have the camel that breaks the, or the hair that breaks the camel's back appear right before your CDI or right before you're going to your to the Olympics or whatever major competition it may be, uh, which often happens. And so you want to begin with that, and then you want to work uh, closely with your team or your farrier, your trainer, the rider, uh, and your veterinarian to intermittently reevaluate the horse and re-identify these areas. When the horse is stressed significantly, we still have what we want to do is diminish the level of inflammation, acute inflammation, as much as we can beyond the normal level. Some inflammation isn't bad because, as we know, as we train a horse, its bones and its ligaments and its tendons are changing in response to this work. Its muscles are changing. And part of what drives that change is a low level of inflammation. But as that inflammation becomes severe or excessive, then it begins to degrade the tissues and the tissue is incapable of rebuilding faster than it's being broken down. We're looking for subclinical signs of that process that are occurring and then we want to integrate icing, integrate pro-joint care medications like the hyaluronic acids and the polysulfated glycosaminoglycans and we want to integrate non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or intraarticular medications if we need to, uh, to maximize, uh, to minimize the damage that's being done and to minimize the excessive degree of inflammation. Then we want to ex- improve the lymphatic system. So we oftentimes, when we all think about horses and we think about the circulatory system of the horse, uh, in ourselves, we, we think about the heart, and the arteries that carry the blood away, and the veins that carry the blood back to the heart, right? But there's an entire system that deals with the fluid that leaks out of the blood vessels and and captures that fluid that leaks around the cells and takes it back into into the circulatory system, and that's the lymphatic system. When there is inflammation, what happens is the arteries dilate, they become enlarged, and blood cells and inflammatory mediators are able to leak out through those openings, and they go to the tissue and they send out chemomodulators or signals that certain things should come in. So say a horse got banged on its shin with a fence board by kicking, then the blood vessels around that area will dilate and white blood cells will go in and they'll eat up the red blood cells that have leaked out into the bruise that's occurred there, and you'll have inflammation. But excessive inflammation, as we know, can be bad. So icing it initially to vasoconstrict it and diminish the amount of leakage there is very helpful. Then after that 72-hour period, we want to actually stimulate increased lymphatic reabsorption. And one of the better ways of doing that is through these ceramic wraps or through massage or tissue manipulation, those back-on-track type wraps or or thing or bandaging that's going to improve the movement of that fluid. And, you know, the, the fluid that sits down in the lower legs of, 
of the horse and builds up and stocks up is is sometimes we think about it as not being harmful at all, but if there is inflammation there, that fluid is containing large degrees of inflammatory mediators and cell and triggers that tell cells to um, to die or has the byproducts of cellular waste, and we want to accelerate the removal of those back into the circulatory system where the liver can process them and the kidney can help flush them out of the system. And and that's why how the icing initially helps in doing such and how the use of the, the back on tracks or just standing bandage is, and how a lot of the laser therapies and low-grade, low-intensity therapeutic ultrasounds and things like that help is they accelerate that cellular metabolism and they improve the removal of these waste products and inflammatory mediators that pull around the cells and drive continued and excessive inflammation and degradation. So as we go up the levels, Dr. Newton, with the horses, how often do you like to sort of go over them and, and sort of be part of their team as the veterinarian? As they're competing at the training in first levels, I think it should be done minimally once a year during those periods of time. And and I think that we oftentimes look at it in a paradigm of the uh, how far they are along training, meaning we say a training level horse versus a Grand Prix horse. But it's not just that. It's also sometimes age in that sometimes they're 18, 19, 20-year-old horses who are back down, who are doing second level and toting an amateur around who need to be looked at more frequently because they're further on in their, in their physical deterioration, you know, um, the horses. So those older horses and horses that are getting to the higher levels of competition should probably be looked at twice to three times a year, uh, during leading up to the maximum periods of competition, we typically have a, kind of a really intensive period of competition from uh, February, if you're going to Florida, through kind of May, and then again that hits again in kind of October or September through that November period. And sometimes it's broken up to three periods, and you'd like to look at them prior to entering each of those periods to try and adjust your training methods associated with what the horses are showing you and to, to try and develop strength in those certain areas. And, you know, if you begin to see a horse, for instance, that's getting tight in its pelvis uh, or having loss of range of motion in its hind end, then you can begin to do the, the third degree of bend type of exercises, you know, where you're doing lateral work towards the bend, such as the half pass, or the pirouette, or the turn on the haunches. If you're having horses that are getting really tight through their back and losing their range of motion there, then you can begin to add in that second degree of bend exercises or the lateral work, which is moving away from the bend, such as the leg yield or the shoulder in. And if you have horses that are, are fixating in their pole or the base of their neck and uh, having cervical arthritis or neck arthritis and things like that, which we all know everything begins at the mouth, it moves through the pole, it moves through the neck, and then the horse elevates in its shoulder and it gives through its back, and then it fully engages through its pelvis, and the seat of power drives from the feet all the way up through there so that our have halts 
are connecting to that hind end. But if we have areas of immobility along that axial skeleton, then that process can't occur. And then the horse begins to alter the way it goes, and it's going to increase its weight bearing or increase its uh, improper loading of certain limbs and then accelerate the deteriorative process in those limbs. So that's how we're going to identify those. And, and I think that age and level of competition both drive the frequency of, of checking to me. Now, I want to talk a little bit about a horse that maybe has, ha- uh, has a tendon injury. And I think that we all know the horse needs a period of rest or stall rest. But uh, what do you think the best way is to kind of, maybe we could talk about bringing a horse back to work. Can you give us some ideas about what's what we can do there and, you know, maybe products that could help them uh, as far as, you know, the veterinarian being involved and also just from the trainer's perspective, how do we bring that horse back to work? Um, so the most common tendon injury is a, is a tear or a strain of the superficial digital flexor tendon. Um, the superficial digital flexor tendon um, in injury in the dressage horse uh, as long as it's not at its insertion or attachment to the coffin bone, um, has a very good prognosis for return to full work, in my opinion. But we have to remember that that tendon is going to take 18 months to completely heal, okay? So I really tend to give those horses a year off. And the first 30 days of that period of time, Everything should be maximized to diminish the inflammation that's gone on around it and to maximize, to begin to maximize the quality of healing that's going on. If, if the tendon injury is significant, then I really encourage the use of stem cells or the use of platelet-rich plasma into the lesions and, uh, we do everything we can to improve the quality of healing. But we have to remember that when we're using these products, these biologic products, that the goal of them is not to, or the end goal of them is not to accelerate the rate of healing, but to improve the quality of healing. So we're going to utilize those, and then the horse would be on stall rest for the first 30 days. And then I tend to, with routine ultrasound follow-up, over the next 60 days following that 30-day stall rest, actually do a mounted rehabilitation uh, program. And then if the tendon is healing well, uh, under tack as it's walking and then jogging, then the horse gets to go into a small paddock. And then I think it's very important from around month 5 to month 10 of that rehabilitation program that the horse is able to be out where it can constantly, mildly strain the tendon and reheal the tendon. I've, early in my career, I really confined the horse for extended periods of time and controlled the rehab process. And I found a lot of horses re-injured themselves. And I think that that constant movement and micro-tear and reheal gives you a much stronger end product at that year time than the horse that has been kept in a stall and had very limited uh, reloading of that tendon only being done under tack. Dr. Newton, thanks so much for your time this evening. All your information has been great, and we really, really appreciate it. Um, So thanks again. 
And that's a wrap. If you enjoyed Reese and Philip chatting about all things dressage, you can tune in every week at dressageradio.com. You can also find lots more tips about topics ranging from barn care to websites for horse people on horsetipdaily.com. Just look for the topics drop-down menu on the left. And don't forget to support our sponsors here on Horse Tip Daily because they make these podcasts possible. Today's podcast has been brought to you through the generous support of Kentucky Performance Products. You can find them online at kppusa.com. The Horse Radio Network and the Horse Radio Network hosts are not responsible for statements of guests or their opinions. Use your own judgment when listening to the tips provided by the experts on Horse Tip Daily.